Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connected. This is a brand new City Collective podcast, and I am so excited to have our first guest on with me today. Um, Our first guest is Micah Wilkins, and if you don't know Micah, then she is someone who has been just instrumental, uh, no pun intended, in helping to (laughs) shape the cultures of both worship and welcome at our church specifically. She has helped lead our worship team. She's sung in the team. She has played bass. She has led entire bands as they have collectively kind of led our church. And she has also maybe invited more people than anyone else to our church. Um, The number of Connect meetings that I have where I'm sitting with someone and I'm like, so how did you hear about City Collective? And their answer is, oh, I was at Taco Mama Cita talking to Micah Wilkins, or I was at Daily Ration and Micah Wilkins just kind of mentioned it to me is far more than I can even begin to count. And so she's honestly just someone who has been amazing um, to have in our church body. She also brings five children with her pretty much every Sunday to church. And I know that they have been a tremendous blessing to so many people. And so navigating all of this change is kind of how we're going to hear from Micah today, just how she's doing it, what her life is like, and what her life has been like. So Micah, in the midst of everything that is happening, how are you managing? Dude, I'm I'm making it. I'm surviving. Uh, I've decided to quarantine with my family. So I'm back in Nashville instead of being in Chattanooga. Um, my family's been going through it, you know, in, in, in so many different ways. And with Nashville having gone through all the tornadoes um, and it hitting really close to home and then... Um, more personal job stuff in my family and then all the COVID-19 stuff. It was, uh, I don't know. I went home for a few days and then it was heavy on my heart and I was like, I need to be with my family. And so what better way to be quarantined, um, than with the people you spent your entire life with, I guess. Um, but it's, it's just interesting. Everything that's happening is sobering. Um, and it's humbling and it's scary, like genuinely. And it's, it's not the, the sickness that is scaring me, but it's more so the hysteria that we're met with in our country um, that is putting uh, kind of my heart on edge. And so being able to be home in the comfort of my family, my mom and my dad and my sister has been, uh, it's been peaceful. Yesterday was like the first peaceful day I felt in a long time, but otherwise it's, interesting transition being and being at home it's annoying I don't like being a homebody yeah no I definitely understand I think that trying to navigate kind of this anxiety and paranoia Mm -hmm. is something that all of us are learning how to do for the first time maybe um, in our entire lives I I don't think I can't think of anything that I remember like I don't know if you have these moments where you know you're going to remember them in 30 years. Um, yeah. September 11th is one of the few moments that I remember very vividly from my childhood of like, oh, this is a big deal. I think that looking back, this is going to be one of those moments that mm. we look back on and we just like we know right now that we're going to remember this probably for the rest of our lives. Our generation may even be absolutely by going through this. So absolutely. Um, We've never lived that. through a pandemic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. As far as like when you're in Chattanooga, um, what do you kind of do as far as like your occupation? Um, mm-hmm. What do you do for regular work when work is regular? 
when work is regular. I do too much, ultimately. I um, I teach in a school, so I teach at Dalewood Middle School. I teach, um, this year I teach guided reading in a pull-out room, so we pull, pull kids out of their normal and work with them on very intense reading skills. So it's funny because I went to college for elementary education came on those levels and I'm teaching them the skills that I learned how to teach uh so it it, it worked out funny so I do that from 8 to 2 15 and then from 2 15 to 6 o'clock regularly um from Monday to Thursday I run an after school program at Dalewood uh called 21st Century and I just coordinate so I was in charge of uh, you know, scheduling and hiring teachers and coming up with classes and all this crazy stuff. It's actually way more than I anticipated it being. Um, but I run the after school program, make sure kids get fed and get home. And then during breaks, I work at Taco Mamacita throwing tacos at people. And that's what I thought I was going to be doing. But all those restaurants are closed. So your girl's homeless. I mean, jobless. I feel homeless. I'm not at school. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we can, a lot of people I know, unfortunately, can resonate with that. Um, yeah. So you, you teach at Daywood as an interventionist. Mm -hmm. How did mm -hmm. you kind of get into that? Was that what you always planned on doing? Or was that something that was kind of a curveball? Absolutely not. I had no idea that I was going to be an interventionist, especially at middle school. My entire life, I had, I knew that I was good with kids, um, but I liked younger kids. And I remember being at Camp Vesper Point as a camp counselor and having middle schoolers and being like, absolutely not. I will never in my life teach middle schoolers. This is the worst group of kids ever. Um, but I graduated college. I graduated late, a year late. So I did a nice little victory lap. And I didn't get to have a lot of fun in college because I took so many classes. And so that uh, final year afterwards, I was like, you know what? I want to take a semester and I just want to wait tables because I actually really enjoyed doing it. My dad was a server for like 13 years. Um, he's going to listen to this and be like, that's a completely wrong estimation of the time, but it's fine with me. <laughs> Sorry, dad. But he served uh, Close tables enough, for a right? long time. Yeah, you could say that. He served tables for a long time, um, and then I got into it. And I loved it, so I just wanted to do that. I wanted to build my friendships. I just wanted to have fun um, and live life. And uh, I had had a regular that came into Taco Mama all the time, and she and her husband were absolutely wonderful, but they, like, invested in the people that served them, and they learned about us and loved on us really well. And I told her I went to school for education, and she had continuously tried to convince me to – leave waiting tables and leave the service industry and in turn go and teach. And I was like, I'm just not ready. I'm having fun right now. Like I'm getting to actually hang out with my friends. I actually get to go to the pool. Like I'm making money. And she, uh, she told me at one point, she said, uh, my sons would be better people if you had been their teacher. And that was the day that I was kind of like, okay, I, I could maybe consider this. But yeah, I was definitely. still super stubborn. And so she was like, I'm going to send my friend in. She's a real high up in Hamilton County. And I'm going to tell her to convince you to leave the industry. And I was like, who's your friend? And she was like, Jill Levine. And Jill Levine at the time was the chief of the Opportunity Zone. So all of the Title I schools, and uh, or specific Title I schools. 
And I was like, oh, I know Jill. And so sure enough, Jill came because in. Because you know I everyone in Chattanooga. I do, if unfortunately. If don't know this, Micah is the person who <laughs> probably knows the most people in Chattanooga of anyone. It might be true. I am the mayor. It is hard to go places and not see people I've either like had a friendship, relationship, whatever it is, or like served in some way, shape, and form. Like they're everywhere. But Chattanooga is pretty small. But Jill came in and I carried tacos to her and I was like, how's the opportunity zone? And she was like, I'm not here to talk about the opportunity zone. I'm here to offer you a job. And I was like, well, let's talk. And she said math at Dalewood. And I thought I can do math. And I thought, I don't know what Dalewood is, but I assume it's an elementary school because she's no, she knows I'm elementary. So I looked up the school and I was like, it says middle, but I'm sure there's an elementary school. Got a call from the principal, went in for an interview. And I was like, this is a middle school. And I took the job because how do you say no to the chief of opportunity zone? And I ended up there as the math interventionist last year. It was the hardest thing I've ever done, but I absolutely fell in love with the kids. So I decided to come back for another year and ended up in reading intervention. Uh, Stuck with a part-time job, which my parents weren't happy about, but I knew that that was somewhere that I needed to be. Um, Mm, And so I I stuck it out, but it was definitely blindsided. This is not the path I expected to take at all. And so um, you said Dalewood, is it in a, a Title I school? Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. It is Title I. Dalewood is, uh, yeah, it's the second lowest performing middle school in Hamilton County. Okay, um, all wow. my kids feed into Brainerd High School, and Brainerd is also one of the lowest, has like one of the highest dropout rates. So we are in, uh, we're the school that's like at war, you know? Yeah, definitely. No, so was Title I something that you grew up around? Did you grow up in a Title I school, or did, was it just kind of after college that you developed this heart for this? Yeah, I think that uh, most of it has to do with the way that my parents raised me. Um, I was always cared for, and we always had a roof over our head and food on the table. Um, but my parents, and I heard my dad say this again recently um, when we went to a wedding, my parents wanted to raise us in an area where we would be the minority because we will never be a minority. Um, they wanted us to experience life as a minority because we'll never be one. And and they believed, and, and I think that they were very much so right, that an, a totally different appreciation for minorities um, and for low income and poverty and, and, and anything in that realm uh, we have a whole new understanding and, and desire to know it and love it because of where they raised us. So my parents raised us very often in areas that would be deemed unsafe, scary, kind of hood. We went to schools that were very diverse. We always went to public schools. Um, of course, my mom was a teacher. So like at home, of course, standards were held very, very high. Um because she's also a genius, so that didn't help at all. She worked at my school at one point, so standards were super high. I bet that high. was fun, yeah. It was a riot. To be fair, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. I didn't have to stay, I didn't have to contact her a lot at school, but I think that the way that they raised us very much so had put a, a hold on our hearts for people in situations that are not like mine. Um, and on top of that, regardless, Regardless of growing up in areas where the kids are going to Title I schools and the kids are all on free and reduced lunch and and, and living in a poverty area, they also 
um, we would visit our grandparents very often in Guatemala. Um, and my grandparents lived in an area where you're walking on dirt roads and you're shopping out of huts and, uh, you can't help but get used to an entirely different lifestyle. And no, it's not the lifestyle of like a title one kid, but you, you do get to, to start to really appreciate what you have and what you can potentially give to someone and what they're going to give to you ultimately. So I think that my heart had always been set on working with inner city kids, working with the youth that, uh, like their stories have been written for them. Uh, and they feel like they have to, you know, live to that story, the story of, you know, all your siblings are in jail, so you're going to end up in jail or your dad's dead. So you're going to end up being dead. And, and I refuse to believe the story. So, um, I think that's where my heart has always been. Yeah. And on top of that, I have no way, shape or form of relating to like rich private school privileged kids. Uh, I've not been which, to one which, of those if schools. If you're not, there's nothing wrong with that. If you're in that not at all. Yeah. Absolutely. But I have like, I have no way to relate. And in some way, shape or form, I had a way to relate to kids in title one schools. Um, and I did, I did my time in a, in a nicer school, in a school where kids, um, you know, brought their own lunches and and parents were super active. And it was funny because I had a friend that was with me in that school and she thrived because she had gone to a private school and she, she grew up in a very nice home and she was able to relate to those kids so well and love them very well. Um, and I did not have that ability. So it yeah. became really evident to me that that Title One was where where I needed to be. Yeah. You know? And so it sounds like kind of what you're getting at is like you felt like God kind of had used how you were raised and just the things that you were passionate about to prepare you for this new opportunity because like it was a basically mm-hmm. like a language you had already learned. Or yeah, uh, absolutely. A, a dance routine you had already kind of learned to dance in. So it was like, oh, yeah. I, I know this. This is part of mm-hmm. who I am. Uh, yeah, that's, that is so cool. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so that intersected with teaching. And you obviously had someone come in and tell you that if you had taught their children that they would be better people, which is a huge thing mm-hmm. to hear from a parent. Yeah. I, mean, I can't even imagine what that would do to mm-hmm. me to kind of hear that. So where or was that the moment that you really realized that, hey, maybe I don't need to just be working at restaurants, which there's nothing wrong with, but yeah. maybe there's something more that God's calling me into in this season, or was that in college, or when was it like really like, okay, God, yeah. like, this is who I am? Yeah, I. it was right after college. I had just graduated, um, and I like went into the back of the restaurant and started crying because no one has, I don't know, that's a compliment like like none other. Um, yeah, and it was humbling and it was super uh, uplifting. But uh, my stubborn self was like, that's the kindest thing anyone's ever said to me, but still no. You know, I like I was oh. like, I know that I can be a good teacher. And that was an affirmation to me of of knowing that, like, I have the ability to do this. And like people that have never seen me teach can see that. Um, but at the same time, I was like, am I actually ready? And, and I still to this day, am like, am I ready? I just got a full-time job at chat prep. And I'm like, I have been doing guided reading for a year and I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. I'm like, you could tell me all day, like, Micah, you're fantastic at teaching guided reading. And I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready, but 
but at the same time, I think that there's a truth to be said about um, hearing from kind of strangers or people that don't know you personally um, or don't know you as a professional saying things like that. She's not the only person. There was when I walked into chat prep for my interview uh, last Saturday, the first person I saw was a lady that I served at the Daily Ration for years. She and her husband and her kids came in consistently and I served them every Saturday and every Sunday. And she's the first person I saw when I walked in for my interview and I was like, I know you. And she was like, I know you. And I was like, I've served you. And she freaked out and immediately turned to the the HR person next to me and was like, oh, you've got to hire her. She loves people so well. Her energy's great, blah, blah, blah. She loves kids. And I was like, for someone who just watched me carry pancakes or tacos or whatever it is, for them to be able to see that, that I have this ability, I know that it, it has to be there. Yep. You know, it, uh, like I, I, I'm going to fail consistently um, and I'm not going to be great at it always, but I know that that's what I'm supposed to do. I know that that's what I was hmm. built for, whether it's yeah. teaching or just being with kids in some way, counseling, maybe, I don't know what the, the road leads to, but I do know that like kids are it. Yeah, definitely. So whenever you're saying to these people that you see in public, hey, I served you, do you ever have to clarify and make sure that they know it wasn't a subpoena? (laughs) Do they ever get it? I'm pretty sure with my personality, they know. Or I just don't say anything. If I'm like, maybe they they think that I mean something else. I've never served a subpoena, but that'd be interesting. Maybe that's what I'll go into next. Next time, make sure you tell them you served them a, a, a subpoena. Hey, I, I have served you a subpoena before, and they'll be very confused. And they're like, I'm pretty sure you worked at the Daily Ration. Yeah. They know. They know, Micah. They probably do. but I, um, ho- I hope so. So, I mean, I hear so much just in kind of your, like your journey to teaching and teaching in the context you teach at. But one thing that I just keep hearing over and over is the importance of kind of recognizing these giftings in people and like being able to speak into them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said like it comes from strangers. I know I've had, I've experienced it from people close to me. I've experienced it from people who barely know me just in, from your perspective as someone who has literally like been called up into teaching, like you were serving tables and then someone mm-hmm. said something and like spoke it over you and you were like, wow, this is really, really true of who I am mm-hmm. and helped you kind of see how God made you. Just kind of what is the importance of just kind of speaking truth over people, especially in a time like this when Mm. we're social distanced? Yeah, that's a good question. I think part of it has to do with the the lies that are fed into us by the enemy in the sense of saying like, like to this day, I'm still not convinced that I can do my job, um, that I am a good teacher, that I I can teach reading, I can teach math. and that insecurity leads to things like me not taking a job, me not searching for a job right out of out of school. And of course, there are other reasons, but those lies seep in and and having that affirmation from someone, whether it's my sister or my dad or my friends or a random person I've served. Um, I don't know. It does something funny to you. I get bubbles in my chest and I get I, I like you can feel it. You can feel the affirmation seeping in and saying, like, I know that I'm called for this. Um, and, and you know it subconsciously and you know it in your heart, but there's these things that stand in our way in the same sense of like leading worship, 
I feel very much so that 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 is one of the places that God has called me to serve him. I think another way that w- would be taking the kids to church. Um, and, and of course there's days where I walk away from those things and I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, what is the purpose behind this? I'm not that good and I'm not that kind. And, and I get so frustrated and all these things. And then an affirmation will slip in from somebody, whether it's, uh, my mom or my roommate or someone from church randomly. Um, and it happens right when you need it the most. Cause yeah. that's how God likes to work. But I think that being able to affirm each other in full confidence and saying, Hey, like I see you and I see that you are so blessed in this way. And I, I know that this is what God intended you to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that's, I think it's powerful. I think that it's encouraging and it's exactly what brothers and sisters are supposed to do for each yeah. other. Amen. My that, parents, definitely. my parents have been huge into that. They, my mom learned at a very young age that like her gift more than anything is hospitality. She knows for a fact that like her purpose in life and what God has put her to do other than, and of course, like raising a family and helping grow a church is just housing people. And that's been affirmed in her so many times to the point of her being like, I'm good at this and it's been a blessing Mm -hmm. to people. And so I'm going to open an Airbnb and it's going to be at my house so that I have contact with people. And, and so I think that affirmative actions and words um have been like spoken over the people around me and myself to a point of knowing like this is important and it's good you know yeah definitely i think that Mm -hmm. we're kind of in this season where people maybe are like man i have this thing that i want to do that's kind of creative or we're just bored so we're exploring new Mm -hmm. hobbies new passions and i think like if I could just say one thing to like our listeners, it's like, hey, that person that you think maybe needs to hear your encouragement, like encourage them. Yeah. Um, they're going to be trying new things in this season while they're at home. They're going to be trying to build mm-hmm. stuff. They're going to be trying to write poetry. They're going to be trying to write yeah. songs. And from like what I've heard in your story, it's like without the kind of encouragement and the people just speaking into your situation in your life and saying, Micah, like I see these things in you and you are so gifted in these ways like you might not have had this opportunity to even come to chat prep now or have this career. In mm-hmm. So absolutely. And and that's huge. It, it made the difference, you know? Yeah, definitely. And so I just want to encourage like all of our listeners to just like spend some time in prayer and ask God and say like, who do I need to encourage? Because I know for me mm-hmm. and for Micah, it sounds like it has been something that has truly kind of changed even our career paths and what uh, we're doing. Absolutely. And so um, definitely take time to do that. But we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back from the break, we're going to kind of hear more from Micah on just what her life was like in the church and how she kind of found church and how she kind of found Jesus. So y'all stay tuned and we will come back to you after this short break. Hey, Micah, um, thanks so much again for joining me. It is such a pleasure. Absolutely. So I wanted to just ask you, what was your experience like with with church and with Jesus growing up? Because so many of us come from so many different backgrounds, and we kind of all come to our Sunday gathering from a different journey. And so mm-hmm. I just wanted to hear for you, like, was that something you grew up in? Was that something that was a big part of your childhood? What was that like? Yeah, so I am a good old-fashioned 
uh, pastor's daughter. My dad's a preacher, and he has been since literally the week I was born. He got his master's in divinity. So my entire life, I've known him as a pastor. He started out as as a um, uh, youth pastor, moved on to campus ministry, and then just got done with about five years of being a head pastor at a church. So I grew up going to church every Sunday. It wasn't really an option, um, and I didn't find a reason to fight it for a really long time. Uh, but you know, you grow up learning hymns and knowing that you wear your Sunday best on Sundays and, and you go and you go to Wednesday church and everything like that. And so that was the, the home that I grew up in, the environment I grew up in. Um, and I didn't know, I didn't know any better. I didn't know how to have my own faith. I didn't know how to rebel against it regardless. Cause I was so young. Um, and then middle school hit. And, uh, we moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, and I did not surround myself with people that made me better in any way, shape and form. Um, and it just so happened that I was friends with people that did not believe anything similar to what my parents believe. Um, and so I had my, my like rebellion against them and against faith really young. Um, it started when I was like 10, 11 years old ish. Um, and I mean, like I just became hateful. It was like someone had taken my heart and poured it, uh, or poured concrete over it and just let it dry. I was hard. I was mean. I was unkind and I was not understanding in any way. And a lot of that, it, a lot of it came out at home, of course, cause, cause you abuse the people that you know, aren't yeah. going to abandon you. Um, yeah. And so I would come home and just, my dad said I would, I would speak venom. I would spew venom wow. with my words. Um, and it came against him a lot because of course he was the one where if, and, and my mom too, cause they're both very, very, uh, kind, loving Christians. Um, anytime anything would happen, their response would be like, well, as Christians, this is what we need to do and think, and, and, and we need to repent. And here's what the Bible says. And I rejected that so hard hmm. to where it was like, I literally just wanted to hear you say like, sorry, that sucks. Or like, don't do that again. Wow. Um, and yeah. of course now it's like, I love hearing what they have to say because I need to be reminded it consistently every day. But I rejected everything that they said and believed and I became a truly miserable person. Um, and Do you think, were you miserable in this time? Like, w would you have said in the time you were miserable or is it more of like looking back, you realized that you actually weren't very happy? I was miserable. Like wow. I, I knew I wasn't happy. And I remember, th I remember that because I was thinking about the concept that was God at the time in my head. Um, and I was like, there's no way that if the God that my parents says exists does exist, he would let me feel like this and he would let me feel so lonely and angry. And I would have people that don't love me well in my life. And I would be so angry at my parents. Like we would not be in this situation if he was there. Um, and so I just rejected all of it. I wouldn't have any part of it. Uh, and then we moved to Cookville, Tennessee. And of course, like I was just livid with my parents. Um, cause one, I was leaving my friends who, who made me miserable 
ultimately, but I didn't know how to say goodbye to. Uh, and we're also moving to Cookville, Tennessee, which is the opposite of anywhere we've lived. We've been everywhere from Philadelphia to uh, Fort Worth, Texas, to Raleigh, North Carolina, and then Cookville, Tennessee. So we moved, and my mom, uh, she remembers this vividly. But our first Sunday at our church in Cookville, um, Grace, we we moved there like maybe three or four days before my freshman year started. And so big time in your life, big time, like huge time of change anyways. But then they add that change into it. So I was just I mean, like I was so, so unhappy. But that first Sunday before school started, we went to Grace Presbyterian Church and the entire youth group was outside when we pulled up. And I had met maybe two or three of the kids in the youth group, but there was a, a big youth group. And I get out of the car and they're all saying my name and they're all running up to the car and they're embracing us and they're embracing me. And my mom will tell you, like, that's the day that my, my heart started to melt, that, that the, the anger inside of me started to vanish and that, like, I had seen what it looks like to be embraced uh, by the father's love by someone that isn't my family for the first time in a really long time. And so that was kind of the journey throughout high school of me starting to, to come back to the faith that I was raised in and say like, okay, like I can see this. I, I can understand why God put me through those times. I can understand why I was so unhappy and, and, and I know that it was because I rejected him. Um, and I had, I had tried to lean on my own understanding rather on him. And so, uh, I still went through, um, really trying times throughout high school, some really hard things where I, where I slipped back into those headset, those mindsets of saying like, why, like if God exists, this wouldn't happen. Yeah, totally. Um, but then being able to come back and say, no, there's a reason that this is happening. Um, and and starting to actually lean on God. But it wasn't until my, I would say probably my junior or senior year of college that I figured out what faith meant for me and what wow. my my walk looked like. And, and I had become a part of um, the campus ministry, the house that yep. our church is like 90% comprised of. <laughs> we are all the house folks. We have a lot of house people, yeah. Uh, we for sure. have a lot of house people. It's such a good ministry. Jason Leonard is the man. Kirsten Hyde, they do a beautiful job. But I had been going to the ministry since my sophomore year of college, and I started running sound for the ministry um, as their sound engineer. And we were very, very, very blessed with an amazing worship team that was basically the same worship team for almost four years. Right. Um, wow. Which was unheard of and it was beautiful and it was amazing and it got to the point where we were not just a team but we were genuinely a family um we were with each other 90 percent of the time throughout our week uh like those are those are those like best friends you know those best friends you're gonna have the good old days the good old days the good old friends um but i remember going into the house and into my first year running sound and my entire life, contemporary Christian music had been shunned, and we only sang hymns, 
we were the frozen chosen, as they call us in the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America is the frozen chosen because yeah. we don't really move all that much. There's not a lot of clapping and swaying and hand raising. Um, but I was watching all of that unfold and I, and the lights were off, which was new to me. And we're singing right. Chris Tomlin. And I was like, I, I am not here for this. And I went in with such a judgmental heart, so mm. judgmental, which is crazy. Cause I had finally found my way back into faith and I'd felt like I would become a good person. And then I walk into a ministry and I am immediately judging it. And it's crazy because this ministry that I, I initially, did not think super highly of, but I was a part of anyways because they remembered my name and they, they loved on me well, ended up shaping my faith and shaping my walk. And so I remember my super senior year when we had our last like team dinner with the leaders, I just spoke on it and I was like, this entire experience with y'all has melted a very, very cold heart. Um, I walked in judgmental and I walked in thinking certain things about worship and certain things about faith and certain things about God. And you've challenged that and you've broken it. Um, and so that, that was a huge transformation through those, those, uh, four years at that ministry. And I got to own my faith and say like, this is what I need. Um, this is what I need. Like I, I need to walk this way. I, need God in every way, shape and form. This is what I believe about worship. And, uh, yeah, it, it's been a weird walk through faith. It's yeah. been a, uh, it's been a hard walk through faith for me personally in the sense of realizing just how broken I am. Um, right. but I, I would not change it for the world. You know what I yeah, mean? It, it definitely. brought me to the best people, to the best places, um, and to a really, really sweet place in faith. Yeah. And so I think that that is just beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. Um, Absolutely. And just being willing to like talk about that stuff. I know it's really difficult. Um, and one yeah. thing that I just kind of see is like a common thread through all of this is a desire that, that we all have. And I think that's just a desire to be known. Mm-hmm. And for people to know our names and remember our names and oh, when yeah. they address us, tell us our names, but mm-hmm. on a much deeper level, like know who we are, like know the person behind the name. Yeah. And so one thing that I have really, really begun to work through and hopefully worked through much better recently is trying to honestly look at like how I was raised, but also like in light of the fact that how I was raised, my parents were doing the best that, that like they knew how to. Yeah. And they wanted to know me and they wanted to love me. And while it wasn't always perfect, it doesn't mean that, um, that I need to like always be mad at them or anything like that. And I yeah. can just begin to reconcile some of these things. And it sounds like from like a really early age, like you wanted them to like enter into and know your pain with you Yes. and to know your questioning and like, they were trying the best that they could with like saying, like, this is what the Bible says, and that's helpful. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. is usually like a good response. And it is so it's great, great to know response. that. But it seems like the disconnect was kind of like you feeling like you weren't known, at yes. least in what you were experiencing. Absolutely. And so how have you kind of begun to work through that? Like how have you begun to kind of um, recognize that, but also begin to work towards forgiveness and then mm-hmm. kind of make that more of a pattern in your own life where you make sure people are knowing you? Yeah. 
Well, um, so it definitely started with my parents because that's when it's the people that raised you and the people that made you, you want to be known so desperately by them. Like I'm okay with like, with other people not knowing me and understanding me as long as they do, um, because you love them so deeply. And one of the things that my dad always said about ministry, uh, that has always stuck with me is the best way to minister to someone is to know them and love them. Um, he said, know their name and know where they live and know their story and love them regardless. You don't have to, you don't have to shove a Bible in someone's face to minister to them. You know, you don't have to recite scripture to them to minister. You can just know them and love them and they're going to feel God radiate, um, through you. But for me hearing that and not, not feeling known, um, was really challenging. And, and it's only been recently that we have, my parents and I have come to, uh, a real place of knowing and understanding each other. And it really just came through honesty and communication. That was literally it. Um, and it's hard to do that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I like, I still suck at it. I really do. I struggle hard, Definitely. but we started just by, I think that I admitted some, some things to them that, that, uh, were really hard to come to terms with, but I was like, I want my parents to know this about me and I want them to understand. Um, and I remember the first time I told them something that was really heavy was my freshman year of college. Um, I wrote them a letter and I just explained some stuff that had happened and asked forgiveness, um, and thanked them for the way they had raised me and thanked them for loving me. And I got to like see their responses. And of course in your head, you build it up and you're like, well, these people don't know me. They don't understand me. So this is probably how they're going to respond. And it was the opposite. Um, And it was, that was definitely the start of us uh, knowing each other. And from that, it it went on to my mom and my dad telling me things about them so that I know them better. And I had always thought that I understood their stories because they were very honest and open about them. Uh, But I learned so much more and it made my parents seem more human. Yeah, um, of course. You know, like they're broken. I knew they were broken, but like sometimes you forget, don't we? You do. Kids. I'm like they they think they're God, but I thought I was God, and so we finally got to the place where we we uh, were honest with each other and we communicated, and we still do it, and we still struggle in it. But I think that that's it speaks for my friendships as well, in the sense of yeah, getting to know my friends is coming off the high horse and, and humbling yourself enough to saying like, Hey, this is who I am. Mm. This is why I am who I am. Um, embracing the pain and embracing the story and knowing that it's, it's ultimately working for the greater good. It's working to further God's kingdom. And I, I fully believe that about, um, who I am and my testimony. And that's why I've, I've always been very honest about it. And I've been very, uh, very much so an open book, um, cause you never know whose life you're going to feed through your story and, and you never know whose story is going to feed you. So my, uh, my journey in being known has just being honest, um, and communicating with people. I remember my grandma always, when she meets people, instead of saying, nice to meet you, she says, nice to know you. And wow. I never understood why until recently. And I was like, that's the type of love yeah, that I like want intentionality to, almost. Yeah, like 
Yeah. It is nice to meet you, but it's also nice to know you. It's nice yeah. to learn about you. It's it's nice to understand who you are. And you can't you can't have people know you if you're not willing to let them. Totally. If you're not gonna communicate it with them and 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 share your life with them. And so uh there's been a lot of pain that has been redeemed just yeah. through those communications of like I've sat down with my parents and I've said, Hey, back in the day in middle school when you would say these things like it pissed me off to no end but i would give anything to have those every single day now yeah and and communicating it with them it's it's brought a lot of redemption into our relationships it's fascinating how we grow to kind of want different things from our parents in different seasons and kind of how the thing that maybe they were trying to give us when we were kids like we didn't want it at the time and now that like we're trying to figure out how yep. to pay a mortgage or how yeah. to feed a dog or kids or something. We're like, like, please help us. Like, give SOS. us advice. Seriously. Yes, exactly. I'm like, dad, send me a Bible verse, please. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, but so if you could give one word kind of, of encouragement slash what you've learned from all of this to speak into our time, because I think mm-hmm. what we're experiencing right now is we're going to be experiencing a lot of anger yeah, we're going to be experiencing a lot of frustration and just kind of questioning of God, where are you in this? Yeah, and it's going to be a time where there's a lot of temptation to not be known. Yeah, there's a lot of temptation to not be honest, to not communicate, to just kind mm-hmm. of numb ourselves away from these realities. But I was mm-hmm. listening to something today, and they said that in every kind of great moment like this, there are vulnerabilities, which is like the things like anger and frustration and escapism but there's also these great opportunities and we're going to have a lot of time to be like really introspective and to pray a lot and to actually reach out to people and say hey I've actually been a huge jerk and I'm Mm -hmm. really really sorry and I want you to know this is kind of why I am the way I am um, and this is why I'm struggling and I just want to apologize so Mm -hmm. if we're entering into a season where all of that is like on the table ready for us to step into Mm -hmm. what would you say to maybe micah uh, in 10 days when she is tired and she is um, losing hope in all of this and you just want her to know like hey here's the next step forward you should take Mm -hmm. i think that the two things that i think of consistently and that have been on my mind recently in, in the sense of thinking like yeah i haven't really talked to my friends the way i need to and and we have nothing better to do and and thinking about me in 10 days when I, when I feel like there's no end, um, is one being intentional, Mm. being, being radically intentional. You know, um, I got a phone call literally yesterday morning from one of my friends and I had just woken up and everything in my body was like, just don't answer. Like, and I I almost didn't, like I I almost did not answer the phone. And then I was like, you have not talked to this person in weeks. There is so much going on right now, and there's brokenness in both of our lives that that we're both aware of, that we've been keeping tabs on in person, but we haven't been able to do that over the phone. So I answered it, and it ended up being a wildly fruitful conversation, and I was able to ask her, like, what is going on, and hearing about what's going on, and, and being able to say, like, I'm sorry, dude, I have not been contacting you, and I have not been been loving you the way I should during this time and like forgiving each other. So intentionality is a big thing, but another huge one, and people don't like this a lot of the time, um, 
but it's, it's what I was raised on. And it's what kept me going through hard times is walking in humbleness and humility. Hmm. Um, and, and in the sense of hope, humbleness in saying like, I can't do everything and I'm not God. So I, I can't fix it. And humility in saying like, I am a sinner and I am broken, but my sins have been paid for and I'm redeemed. Yeah. And so walking in the humbleness and humility is what I'm going to have to consistently remind myself during this weird off season of saying like, I, I need to humble myself and I need to remember where I came from and why I am who I am and just exactly who redeemed me. And yeah. I think that that walking in those things has brought me to a place where I, I can ask forgiveness and I can admit when I'm wrong and I can reach out when I need to because I'm not God and I'm not the son and, mm. and, and the world does not revolve around me, but I can make it a better place right. if I walk, if I walk in the, the right footsteps. Yeah. That's so hard yeah. because I know for me, I want to, I, I mean, I'm married and I have a wife and I want to be like, look at me. I got us through COVID-19. Like, look yeah. at how strong <laughs> I am on my own. Look, yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. just that reminder that ultimately that God's still in control and yeah. that God is still good and sovereign and wants to hear from us in prayer and that Absolutely. it's okay to ask for help, that you read Acts and you see that the early church, that there was none who had any need, but that's only because people were asking for help. Yeah. And um, I think those are two absolutely amazing reminders. I just wanted yeah. to kind of read this psalm just over our time. It's something that I read and I meditated on, and it made me just kind of think of our conversation. And I think it's so fitting just to kind of um, wind down this this talk about faith. And so... This is Psalm 138. It says, I will praise you, Lord, with all my hearts. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down towards your holy temple, and I will praise your name, because your unfailing love and your faithfulness. You have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Mm -hmm. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life, God. Mm -hmm. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. Mm-hmm. And that is just a psalm that I thought of when I thought of you kind of building this culture of worship in our church and living out everything that we've talked about in this conversation, um, just in the mm-hmm. streets of Chattanooga with how you treat people and how you treat people in our church. And so I just kind of wanted to read that as like a prayer for us moving forward yeah. and something to kind of um, be this like, this bright ending on our time. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Thank you. He's worthy. You know? Of course. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, that He's is worthy so of it all. And I'm so thankful for how you've led our church in that um, throughout basically the entire life of it. Um, Thank you. It's yeah. been, it has been more of a blessing to me than the church will know. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. Um, yeah. So as we kind of wind down, the question I'm asking all of my guests is, 
assuming that everything returns to normal after this. So it may be hypothetical. We don't know yet. But if we get back from this and everything is normal, where is the first place you are going to eat in Chattanooga? Ooh, I'm hitting the Flaming Rooster. I've been craving it, and I can't have it, and that's that issue. You know that you need it when you start tasting it, but you haven't had it. The Flaming Rooster is like on Brainerd Road, but they had a car drive through their dining room. Oh, wow. So I don't know if they're rebuilding right now. I don't know if they can rebuild right now. I don't know if they have the money to. This is the second time it's happened. Um, But that's a call to, one, if you got resources and you can help the Flaming Rooster, go help the Flaming Rooster because your girl's hungry. But also, (laughs) they've they've got the best greens. They've got good fish. Everything is so good. Mm. All right. Now I'm hungry. Yeah. So hopefully um, the Flaming Rooster will be there when we get back from all of this. And mm-hmm. when it is, go with Micah to the Flaming Rooster and get we'll go. get the greens, get the fish, get the chicken, whatever you want to mm. get. Um, y'all go eat together. But Micah, thank you so much for kind of taking time to just be with us and talk with us. Um, it has been such a pleasure. It's been a blast, Brooke. Seriously, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, dude. I'm so excited for this to launch. Um, just a quick word of like update. This is March 23rd, and as of right now, we are still waiting distribution on Apple Podcasts. So for now, you can find us on Spotify and on Anchor. We will post a link to both of those on our website. But hopefully, we will be on Apple Podcasts soon. We've been waiting for about a week. So once they approve of us, you can subscribe, you can like us, you can share us, you can rate us, all of that fun stuff on Apple Podcasts once that gets approved soon. But for now, check us out on Spotify and on Anchor, and we cannot wait to have more guests and talk with you all soon. So Mm -hmm. with all of that, um, this is Micah and I, and we just want to say stay safe and um, keep the hope in this time because there are so many beautiful stories to share and so many great ways to connect in this season. Amen.